304, Kneel at the Cross. I'd like to have the ladies sing verse 2 to, on this song and the men verse 3. Everyone join in the chorus. 304, Kneel at the Cross. Yeah. 
Good evening. And greetings in Jesus' name to everyone here this evening. I'm glad we can meet in his name and sing of his love. And sing how his love is shown at the cross. That's where you find a lot of love from Jesus for sure. Welcome to everyone. Glad to see a lot of you regulars here. And glad to see some visitors that aren't normally here. Welcome to you. Hope you can make yourself at home and worship comfortably with us here this evening. I do have some announcements. Uh, Friday evening, we're planning for some special singing. And Sunday evening, some special singing also. So you look forward to uh, some extra blessing there those evenings. <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of ingredients to good worship. And one is coming. But another one's coming with your heart ready. And you know, aren't you glad that we come to worship we can worship God as our Savior and the Lord of our life, and He makes worship enjoyable. But you know, there's kind of an attitude and a mindset that we must have that aids in worship. I'd like to look at a few verses in Psalm 96, verses 1 to 9. Now, I really appreciate the way y'all sing, because uh, good, hearty singing is a part of good worship. And singing from the heart. And you know, when we can sing from the heart about the love of Jesus because we've experienced it, and we can sing how he's transformed us at the cross, you know, it lets us sing with a little bit more oomph than normal because we, we enjoy that. He gave us a new song. It's not the old song that the devil gives and sing about earthly and worldly things. It's a new song of deliverance in Christ Jesus. And so that's a tr tremendous blessing gives us a new song. That's where it starts here. So let's look at these verses at this time. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. And the gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, for the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Given to the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Given to the Lord glory and strength. Given to the Lord glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. <clears throat> so here it talks about how we can serve the Lord faithfully. And what is, wonder, what is wonderful, we talk about. It says, declare his glory everywhere you go among the people. And you know, he has done great things for us. We are tremendously blessed spiritually and materially. We really are. We have a lot to talk about in Jesus. And it gives us a lot to say because he has changed us and, and given us a purpose in our life. Then it also says about um, he is to be feared above all gods in verse 4. And uh, so when he speaks, that's it. He says it and he means it. And that's a blessing. You know, we don't need debate when he, God talks. You know, the most important thing our brother Dumber will do this evening is read the word of God. Now, we want it to be expounded. I'm glad that um, he has the liberty to expound the Word of God. In fact, that's what God appreciates. But the most important thing he'll do is read the Word of God. And, you know, it's wonderful that we can hear that Word of God and say, Lord, I, that's what I want to do. 
I want to obey you. you know, we, we read it with anticipation. And it, it gives uh, a lot more meaning to the reading and worship. And it says, then when we do, when we worship that way, we'll give glory unto him. In verse 7 and 8, how? By our offering. Now, there's a lot of offerings God wants from us. He wants the offering of praise. He wants the offering of ourselves. He wants us all. He wants our, our, our bodies to be a living sacrifice to him. So he wants all of our actions and attitudes. It says, the psalmist says in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. God knew that. David knew that. And God's people still do. So that would mean that as we worship, when God speaks to us, and he does, he loves to speak to us because he loves us as his children. And he loves us even if we aren't his children, he still loves us. And he speaks to our, you know what we say? Yes, Lord. And when he touches our life by his spirit and he says, you know what? You need to change something. Good Christians and good worship says, yes, Lord, I'm going to give that up. You know, I want to change. You know, the more you walk with God, the more you understand you have more distance to grow to be like him. You just see that I got more ways I can grow like him. And so he likes that. That's acceptable worship with God when we worship in that way. Yes, again, then there at the end in verse 9, it says, fear before him all the earth. And... Uh, and the fear means there is a proper reverence, a proper reverence for God. And that's what I was talking about. We want to reverence him. We want to, uh, and it shows in how we live. No wonder it says, teach me the way, O Lord. I will walk in that truth. Write my, unite my heart to fear thy name. The psalmist says also in another place in the psalms that he trembled at the word. I don't see that much anymore. In fact, a lot of times we tend to see debate and trying to see how they can get around obeying the word. But I'm glad that good saints still reverence the word of God. They love it. And they know that it means the world to them. I praise God we live in a land of freedom. We can worship him. And it's a privilege we have to be here tonight. What a tremendous blessing. Be here and worship God in the beauty of holiness. Shall we kneel in prayer? The other that can just kneel in prayer. <clears throat> Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us, Lord. Even though many times we are unworthy of your love, you've loved us when we were unlovely, and you loved us when we were not following you. And Lord, I thank you that you care about our life. You care how we live. And Lord, you enable us to live above sin because you sent Jesus for forgiveness of sins. And we can be cleansed from sin, our past sins. Lord, I thank you for cleansing us by the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the peace and joy we can have in serving Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity we have to worship here this evening together. Lord, we come here with our hearts open, anticipating a message from you, Lord. So we pray that you'll be with Brother Delmer. Lord, we thank you that he is, he is your mouthpiece this evening. Lord, bless him as he brings forth your inspirations, Lord. 
And I just pray that our hearts will be like a spiritual sponge here this evening to soak it up and to listen closely and say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. So bless this service. Bless each one that come. May we be encouraged. May we be strengthened. And Lord, we don't want to leave the same as we come. We want to leave stronger and more like you. So may your spirit move among us to, to make this a very much a meaningful service and help us to be more like Jesus. And it's his blessed name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Brother Delmer is from Michigan, uh, close to Traverse Bay. What's that place called? Traverse City. Traverse City, yes. And so let's give our attention to him as he ministers God's word to us. And we'll let him close the service as he sees fit. Lord bless you, brother. I, too, would like to extend Christian greetings to all of you this evening. I hope that you have had a wonderful day and a prosperous day walking with the Lord. It's good to be back again tonight, and I enjoy seeing these young ladies and young men right up front here on the front benches and all of you here tonight to worship the Lord together. A lot of your faces are becoming familiar, and I believe there's a few new faces here tonight, and we welcome all of you. Glad that you're here. I appreciated the singing again, and I appreciated the reading of the scripture. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. There's something special about God's people coming together to worship together in holiness. And often tell our people at home, you know, when we have when we're when we have God's house and we have God's word and we have God's people, we're all set for a blessing. And I trust that will be your experience tonight. I'd like tonight to talk about the church. Before I do that, I'm going to talk about something that you might not suspect I would talk about, and that is sports. I want to draw a parallel. Professional sports world, baseball, soccer, football, basketball. There are two aspects to a sports team. There's the offensive side of a team, and there's the defensive side of the team. And defense, we know, is very important. Someone has said that it takes defense to win a championship. So what defense is, it, it prevents the other team from scoring. And sports, we're talking about. However, you can't win without offense. There's a, at some point, if you're going to win a game, you've got to score a run or a point or a goal or a touchdown if you're going to win. And so, for an example, if you have a basketball game and your team is always playing defense, trying to prevent the others from scoring, that's not a good sign because that means you're probably going to lose the game because you have to, at some point, play offense and score. And in professional football, they divide their players up into, I forget how many players are on a team, but they divide them up into an offensive team and a defensive team. And it's very seldom that in professional football, a player would play on both offense and defense, either your offense or defense, one or the other. And again, if your defensive team is on the field for most of the game, it is a bad sign because that means the other team is probably going to score if you're always playing defense. It takes offense to win. 
Now, unless you wonder where I'm going with that, let me make a few comments about sports. I think I have four thoughts. The difference between sports and the church is this. Sports is about what man can do. Church is about what God can do. You cannot be a bonafide, on-fire-for-God Christian and be consumed by sports. Sports has potential to ruin your appetite for the things of God. And lastly, sports has a record of taking your passion, taking the passion of God's people to the wrong place. Now, I said all that for a reason, and you'll understand as I go on tonight. Tonight, I want to talk about, the title of the message is Church Aflame. And I would say tonight that this is a message that is close to my heart, because I believe that the church is close to God's heart. I believe it is the apple of his eye. If you think about what God has invested in the church, friends, he sent his only son, Jesus, down to this earth to be the foundation for the church. And he has invested blood in the church. And I believe, as I read the Bible, that the church is very, very important to God. And so it is very, very important to me, and I believe it's important to you all tonight. And I would like to say this as I go into this message. If, if you wonder if I came to Virginia to McDowell to pick on this church, I did not. I, pre I have preached this message to our congregation at home, just so you know that, all right? I invite you tonight to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew 16, verse 18 and 19. Jesus talking here, and he said, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You see, friends, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus made a very profound statement. And all of his statements, I, I guess we would say, were profound, but this one especially sticks out to me. And this, cha this statement changed the course of God's people and church. It changed it from the law to Holy Spirit-filled men and women that follow Jesus and are building his church. It changed it from a high priest and sacrifices of blood and animals to the church of the New Testament and the church that we attempt to model today. And you know, friends, that course that Jesus set when he said, I will build my church, that course is still in effect today. And it will be until the trumpet sounds. And when Jesus said, I will build my church. Friends, that is a divine statement. That is a, that is a statement of truth. It's a statement of promise. As sure as you have got warm blood flowing through your veins tonight, you can count on it. There will be a church. When the trumpet sounds, he is coming back for the church. You can count on it tonight, friends. 
When Jesus said, I will build my church, my friends tonight, that's also a great invitation. And it is not exclusive. That is for anyone that wants to be part of the church. We can say, yes, I will walk with Jesus and I will build the church of Jesus Christ. And then I would say, when Jesus said, I will build my church, it's a statement that requires of you and me a response. What are we going to do with that? Jesus said, I will build my church. What do you think Jesus had in mind? Just any old building? Anything that has a sign hanging out saying this is a church? Is that what Jesus had in mind when he said, I will build my church? Can it be a laid back, complacent, lukewarm church? No, friends. Jesus said that won't work. In Revelation, he said that kind of church. He said, I'm going to spew it out of my mouth. So it can't be that. When he said, I will build my church, did he mean that it could be a worldly, compromising church? No, Jesus said, he said, in Revelation of that kind of church, he said, you've got to repent or, he said, or else I'll sever the relationship. That's not what Jesus was talking about when he said, I'll build my church. <laughs> Do you think Jesus had in mind the Mennonites or the Baptists or the Lutheran or the Presbyterians or the Amish or the Beachy? Pentecostal? Well, friends, tonight, I've got good news. Brothers and sisters, there will be no denomination in heaven. And I'm glad it is that way. I'm, I'm not banking my salvation on being a Mennonite. I can tell you that tonight. I'm banking my salvation on being a part of the true church of Jesus Christ. I appreciate the Mennonite church a lot. And, and I, I support it. And I'm, I'm grateful for what we have and what we stand for. But that is not my salvation, friends. The true church of Jesus Christ, the bride, is a church of real Christians. And Jesus said, I will build my church. And I believe, according to Scripture, that the church has both offense and defense. That's why I talked about sports tonight. I believe the church is both offensive and defensive. It is a defense that's rock solid. It is steadfast. It is sure. It knows what it stands for. It's a shield of faith. It is dead serious about pursuing a safe path. We need a safe path, brothers and sisters. The church needs a safe path. It's on defense. It's defending truth. It's standing on truth. It's not altering its course. I'm all in for defense, and the Bible has a lot to say about it. However, it takes offense to win the battle, to experience victory. In Ephesians 6, we're not turning there tonight, but it talks about putting on the whole, army, whole armor of God, and, and some of that armor is defensive armor, and some of it is offensive armor, and I think if I would calculate it, and the way I would look at it, there's more offense than defense, and that doesn't really matter. It's split about in the middle. Tonight I chose this words, these words for the title, Church of Flame, because it puts a picture in my mind. The word, of, the word of flame is not in the King James Version. The word of flame means in flames. That's what it means. I like to think about a church that's on fire, okay? I'm not much into, I, I'm not anything into a dead church. I'm into a church that's on fire. 
When I go to church on the Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, I want there to be fire there. Not something dead and half alive and smoldering and smoking out of fire, a church of flame. That means it's glowing, it's on the offense, it's conquering and gaining ground. It's a forest fire that's burning a path to glory. Church of flame. I'm not saying tonight that there's too much defense in our church. I'm not saying that at all. I believe there are ditches, and we need to stay out of the ditches. But I think one of the things that can happen to a church, you focus on defense, and you get in a survival mode. Survival. We made it through. We made it through the charismatic movement. We made it through the godliness means prosperity movement. We made it through the first phase of computer and technology. We made it through COVID-19. Surviving. Defense is working. That is good, friends. I'm not knocking that on. That is excellent. That is good. But I believe, friends, tonight the church is designed to do more than just survive. It should be a church alive, a flame. And Jesus said here in Matthew 16, 18, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now we're all in, we're all in a farming country here and you know what gates are all about. Gates keep things in or they keep things out. A gate in this scripture here, I believe, refers to keeping people from moving forward on a path to a destiny. And so Jesus said the gates of hell cannot hold back the church that is aflame. The gates of hell cannot keep the church from moving forward and having victory, victory ahead. And he used the word there, the, church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That word means shall not overpower it, won't be a detriment or hold out against it. And I like Brother Val Yoder's quote. He said, I envision a church that will damage the gates of hell. I like that, friends. I want to be part of a church that will run right through the gates of hell. The gates of hell are put up to stop the church from having victory. And we need to run right through it. Marching design won't be stopped by the gates of hell. And then in verse 19, he said, I'm going to build this church, and the gates of hell won't stop it. And he said, I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on to say some more things there. And I believe it has to do with the authority of the church. And I've heard that interpreted different ways. I know what I think. But what I'm going to focus on tonight, and I will give you the keys. And I'm going to draw a parallel from that. And I don't think that's maybe, maybe the primary thought of that verse. But I, I want to think about that thought. I'll give unto you the keys. I like to think of that, that Jesus is saying to me, Delmer Troyer, I give to you the keys. 
I give to you the responsibility. I give to you, uh, what is the word I want? I give you a work order to build the church of God. That's why I say when Jesus said these verses, we can't just walk away from it and say, so what? It demands of us a response. Am I going to accept those keys? Am I going to accept that responsibility? Am I going to say yes to Jesus? I will be a part of building your church here on earth. Or do we say no to that? Now we hear a lot about how we're going to go through difficult times, and I believe the church is going to go through difficult times it has in the past and it is today and it will continue to go through difficult times because there's an enemy. And friends, we can hunker down in defense if we want and hope we survive. Or we can go on offense like the New Testament church, the model in Acts, and we're going to look at some of that tonight. Or we can do both. And I believe that's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to be both a defensive and an offensive church. Tonight I'm going to focus in on church aflame on the offense and what that looks like today. And I'd like to give you several points of what a church of flame should look like today. And I'm going to be reading scripture out of the book of Acts. So if you want to turn to Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to be flipping to a number of references here. So if you can stick with me. The first point I'd like to make, that the church of flame today is full of faith in the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 1 And verse 8, Jesus said to the church, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, the church wasn't very big at this point, but Jesus told them, You're going to have power, you're going to have dynamic power, and you're going to build the church in, in Judea, and Samaria, and in and, and the other parts of the earth. And that's what we are doing today. And he said, you're going to have power. And the power is going to come from the Holy Ghost that is going to live inside of you. And if we, I'm not going to take time to read a lot of verses because I, I want to move on. But if you think of that and you say, well, that's great. I'm glad that there's power in the church. I'm glad there's the Holy Spirit and, and, and the leading that gives, but that's probably for other people. Or maybe it's for the, uh, you know, the, the superstar Christians or the missionaries. No, friends. It's for all of us that say yes to Jesus. I will take those keys and I'll be part of building the church. That power is for all of us. And if you read on down in chapter 1, come to verse uh, 13, they were coming to the upper room where were the disciples. And then verse 14, they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. So the church was about 120 people, and it included men and women that were committed to taking the keys and building this church. All right? And then let's go over to chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And I think it's talking about this church. Now, I can't say that it was all 120 of them. But it says they were all accord in one place. In verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. All right? And so tonight, I want to say that 
one of the keys of the church being aflame, to being on fire, to glowing, one of the keys for that is that we are filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, a church can have a lot of action and a lot of programs and can be busy, 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 but without, but it will have no fire without the Holy Ghost. We can't do it on our own, friends. We need the Holy Spirit living in our life. And when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into our heart and into our life. And as we allow him to take complete control of our life, it puts power, spiritual power, into our lives. And that's what will make a church aflame. Now go with me as I pursue this thought to chapter 4, verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak the truth by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So Peter and John had been threatened. They said, we want you guys to quit preaching about Jesus. No more. We don't want to hear any more about this preaching about Jesus. And so Peter and John went back to the church, and they had a prayer meeting, and they prayed for boldness to keep preaching the word. And they had quite a prayer meeting. It said they prayed, and the place was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I've been in some mighty nice and mighty fine prayer meetings, friends, and we've had some good prayer meetings back here, but I've never been in one where the place was shaken physically by the power of the Holy Spirit. I would like to experience that. But friends, tonight, I want you to see, and it says in verse 32, in the multitude of them that were believed, believed. And so the church was off on offense. I want we to understand tonight that we cannot go out there and do it on our own power and, and just, you know, create some great church. It comes by the filling of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's what brought on the multitudes. Go to chapter 6, verse 5. And I'm jumping around here. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man of, full of faith in the Holy Ghost. we got the same thing going on here. Uh, chapter 7, the word of God increased the number of the disciples, multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith, and Stephen full of faith and power. And so we, we see the church exploding. It was increased. It was multiplying because we had men and women that were filled with the Holy Spirit. J.D. Greer said, and I quote, he said, the early church had no buildings, they had no money, they had no political influence, and yet they turned the world upside down. You know what, friends? They had the Holy Spirit. And they turned the world upside down. The church in America is not 
turning America upside down. And I wish I wouldn't have to say that. But the church in America, and I'm painting a broad picture, is distracted, quiet, influenced by culture, compromising, materialistic, plagued by individualism. We say, yeah, that's out there. That's not us, okay? What if we take a little closer look at ourselves, friends? And I said before, I, I am happy to be part of the Mennonite church. It's not my salvation, but I'm happy to be part of it. But there are some things that I hear sometimes that make me cringe a bit. Why is it that we are famous for our good cooking and people will stand in lines at our Amish and Mennonite restaurants? We are famous for Amish and Mennonite made furniture and people buy it all over the United States of America. We're famous for our quilts. And I live in Traverse City, Michigan, and there's no Amish real close to us, but I see, I see billboards there to advertise Amish chickens and Amish turkeys. And I have seen bottled water that says Amish water on it. And I wonder sometimes, why don't the Baptists get in on that Baptist bananas or something, you know? Uh, and we're known for beautiful homes and business savvy. And I'm not trying to be negative tonight, and it's not a fair statement for every church. But I ask you, friends, tonight, is that a sign of being full of the Holy Spirit? Is that what we really want to be known by? No, it is not. That is not going to turn America right side up. What I'm saying tonight is we need to be careful. You can get good at doing church without being full of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to be a church of flame. My second point tonight, what's church of flame look like today? Acts chapter 4. Maybe I'll just read verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now, there had just been a tremendous display of church of flame, and, and uh, Peter and John had healed the lame man. And the Bible says in chapter 4, verse 4, how many of them believed the number of men was by 5,000. And so now we have grown from a church of 120 to 5,000. The church is exploding. It's on offense. People are coming to the Lord. And they asked Peter and John, the, the high priests and Ananias, and they said, who are you guys? By what power are you doing this? Healing these lame people. Who are you guys anyhow? What do you think you're doing? They said, I know what you are. You're just a smelly fisherman, but all you know how to do is sail a little sailboat. That's who you are. But you know what? They discovered what was going on. And it says in verse 13, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. I'll tell you, friends, tonight, if we want a church that is on fire, that is marching through our land, that is on offense. We need men and women of our church that have been with Jesus. I know he's not here in person tonight, 
But we can saturate ourselves with Jesus by reading his word. We can follow Jesus, and I'm going to talk about that. Peter had been with Jesus. When you think about Peter, here was a man that he had failed many times in his life. Jesus had turned to him on one occasion and said, Peter, get behind me, or called him Satan. Uh, Peter stuck his foot in his mouth. He said things he shouldn't have said. He failed. He, he denied Jesus three times, said, I don't even know the man. But now you've got a man that is a different man. He had been with Jesus. His heart had connected with Jesus. He gave his heart to Jesus, and it was a flame. And here was a man that was going to die for Jesus. He gave up the fishing. And I'm not saying we, I like to fish too, but his heart wasn't in fishing. His heart was being with Jesus. And friends, tonight, if we want a church of flame, we need men and women whose hearts are given to Jesus. They're immersed in Jesus. It's not glitter and glamour, but it's the power of changed lives that have been with Jesus. What's the church of flame look like today? My third point in Acts chapter 2 and end of the chapter, verse 44. And all they that believed were together and had all things common, and they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their bread with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so the church is exploding. It's on offense daily. People are coming to the church. Wouldn't that be wonderful, friends, if we just had people wanting to come in the doors and want to follow Jesus with us together and build the church of Jesus Christ? They had brotherhood, friends. They had unity. They were unified. They had one purpose. They had one goal. They had power. And we could go over, you don't have to turn to it, but in Acts, later in Acts, I think it's chapter 12, Peter was thrown in prison and says, prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. They were unified in prayer. They were brotherhood. And the power of corporate prayer got Peter out of prison. It was amazing. Another verse I want to point out, and you can go with me there to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll leave Acts now. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, 21. A very simple verse. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. I'm talking tonight about brotherhood and unity. That's what a church aflame looks like. Ephesians chapter 5, 21 Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Friends, tonight, this is, to me, is huge evidence of brotherhood and church in the New Testament. You cannot submit yourself one to another unless you're part of a fellowship. And I... You know, individualism is rampant today. And I believe that you should be in a church and you should be supporting a church. Why would you not want to be? Why would you not want to be? I 
have strong opinion that in the New Testament church, you were either in or you were out. You were either counted to be part of it or you were not counted to be part of it. You were part of the church or you were not part of the church. And I believe the same holds true today. I don't think we should be church hitchhiking. I don't believe that we should be avoiding responsibility and accountability of brotherhood. But I believe that we should commit to being part of brotherhood. And I believe that if we're serious about living for Jesus, that's exactly what we want to do. You see, friends, brotherhood and biblical, biblical brotherhood is more than just getting my name on the church roll. I believe that it's biblical that we assume responsibility for each other spiritually. That's biblical brotherhood. We need to care for each other. We need to exhort each other and, and, and help each other through this pathway of life. I need you. I need the brethren in my church to help me get it straight. And we, we, we take on that responsibility by becoming part of the brotherhood. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Church of Flame. Number four. Church of Flame today is intentional. Brothers and sisters, we must be intentional. If we want to have a church that's on fire, it's not going to just drop down out of the sky somehow. We got to be intentional about it. We can't just hope it happens. We have to do something about it. Paul and Barnabas in Acts, and we won't turn there, but it says they were men that hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They risked something. They were intentional about it. This is what we're going to do. It may cost me something, but this is what I'm going to do. A church of flame is a result of intentional desire and effort. Jesus said, Take up your cross and follow me. We must choose to intentionally follow Jesus. And I'm not sure who Dean Taylor is or what he believes, but he said, and I quote, he said something I firmly believe, and I quote him. He said, how can you be a follower of Jesus if you don't follow Jesus? We must be intentional about it. I'm challenged by a preacher friend that I know, and he said something like this. It's not verbatim, but he said, I want to be a part. I desire to be part of a brotherhood, a church, that together we can deal with the difficult issues of life that the church is facing today. Friends, that's offense. That's what I'm talking about tonight. And as I think about that, I, I think about something that happened years ago. It was called WWJD. Remember that? WWJD? What would Jesus do? And, I, and that thing came around kind of as a fad. That's how I would have seen it. And I felt that a lot of people were more interested in wearing the bracelet than actually considering what Jesus would do. But the question 
is not a bad question. In fact, I think it's a relevant question for, day, for facing difficult issues in life today. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do if he was here on earth today? Would he drive a car? And I know people say, well, that's a, you know, that's a dumb question. Because he wouldn't need to drive a car because he doesn't need a car. Well, if he was here today, would he drive a car? The question we need to ask ourselves, what kind of car would he drive? I think that's a good question. Would Jesus wear the clothes that I wear? Would his house be similar to mine? Would his Sunday activities be similar to mine? Would he eat at the same restaurants I eat at? Would he shop at the same stores I shop at? These are not bad questions. They're good questions. And I have to wonder, friends, how would our church change if Jesus was a member of our church for one year? Wouldn't that be interesting? I think it would be great if Jesus could be a member of our church for one year. Wouldn't that be something? Probably the toughest question is this, that our churches face today. Would Jesus have a smartphone? Now, don't run out on me. My wife has a smartphone. If Jesus had one, how would he use it? That's a good question. How much scrolling would Jesus do? You know, when it comes to technology, the church has played a lot of defense. I've cried defense across our pulpit at home. I've cried defense across pulpits that I've traveled to because I believe that it is one of the most difficult issues that we're facing today. And friends, it is threatening to destroy our churches a person at a time. And Gary Miller wrote a book entitled Surviving the Text Tsunami. How many of you have read that book? It's a good book. Good book. I would encourage you to read it. I agree with what he wrote. The only thing that I would change in that book is I would probably change the title a little bit. Surviving the Taxonomy. I like to think that we're going to do more than survive, friends. We're going to win this thing. I want to do more than survive. I want to come out on top. And what I long for our church and what I would wish for your church is not only to be on defense, but to be on offense with technology. I think we need to ask ourselves offensive questions. I realize tonight I'm going down on a path that, that is risky because you may not appreciate what I have to say tonight. And I don't know how you all look at this, but I want to give some biblical thoughts tonight because I believe, friends, that the Bible applies to everyday life. I really believe that. And that's how I want to live. But I think that we should ask ourselves offensive questions like, what do I need? And how does that compare with what I want? Those are offensive questions.
I believe we should ask questions like social media, do I need it or do I want it? Screen time, do I need it or do I want it? Not too long ago, I was talking to a young man from one of our churches, and I said to him, you know, all the changes in technology in the last 20 years have been a tremendous challenge for our churches to stay pure and holy and walk with Jesus. And I asked him this question. I said, are we over the hump or what's in coming to us in the next 20 years? And he said, Delmer, the changes in the next 20 years will be far greater than the last 20 years. And I ask us tonight this question, is the church ready for the next 20 years? Brother Richard Hur, a man that some of you know, I quote him, he said, I don't know if the church will survive technology. And I have quoted him a few times as a warning, because not all are surviving, friends. He made a valid statement, because as I look behind me, I see a spiritual bloodbath. And friends, it's not good. And you might say tonight, why do you talk about these things? I'm going to tell you tonight why I do care, why I'm willing to risk myself, I guess, tonight. I have to admit I have fear of man. But I want to tell you tonight why I care. And we're in Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go to Ephesians 5, verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ hath also loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling favor. And so we're to be followers of God, followers of Jesus. That's what I've been talking about. And he says in verse 3, But let fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as become a saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. There's a list of things here, friends, that the Bible says that should not once be named among the church, among God's people. And one of them is foolish talking, inappropriate talking, time-wasted talking. And I would just ask the question tonight, has foolish talking increased amongst us as we have embraced smartphones? It bothers me. And then in verse 3, he says that sexual sins are not once to be named among God's people, not once to be amongst the church. And friends, tonight, that is why I care. I care because I believe I understand how God looks at it. I care because I have to admit tonight that sexual sins are rampant in the church. And I hope to God they're not here. And I hope to God tonight that I'm preaching to the choir. But I'm talking from my experience. I care, friends, because I work with these things, because I work with people. I care because I see, friends, what it does 
to a husband and wife relationship. I see what it does to the family. I care, friends. I do. I see how it hamstrings and it disables our men, young and old. And all friends, I see the long-lasting effects of this sin. That's why I care. I care because pornography, sexual sins, will strip the church of power to overcome the gates of hell. We cannot expect, friends, to have pornography and sexual sins to be sitting in our pews and think our church is going to run right over the gates of hell. Hmm. I care because screen time can so easily consume us and becomes more important than my brothers and sisters and my local congregation. I'm concerned Bible principles like contentment. I think, friends, when it has come to technology, I believe that we have blown right by the principle of contentment. I'm concerned about the Bible principle of idolatry. God's people through ages go way back in the Old Testament. Their number one problem was idolatry, the heathen gods of their neighbors. And I think, friends, that number one problem is still with us today, idolatry, because I am afraid that there's people that are professing the name of Jesus are going to get to judgment day in the judgment bar and walk before God. And he says, sorry, get an idol in your pocket. And I want to encourage us tonight, friends, to read your Bible in the Bible, in the book. I encourage people, I encourage young people, I encourage old people. If your Bible is boring to you, unless it's on a screen, you've got a problem. Read it in the book, friends. There are way too many distractions on the screen. And there are too many preachers getting too much of their messages from the Google God. Brethren, preaching brethren tonight, get your word from the word of God. Friends, tonight, the internet needs to be a tool. It needs to be a tool and not a toy. And for those of us that have made commitments many years ago of a path that we're pursuing that is safe. If the internet has become our television, we have backslid. If the internet has become our theater, we have backslid on what we have stood for. And I want to tell you tonight, friends, if the internet has become our entertainment and our pastime, we're probably in big trouble because that whole system is designed by the Philistines and the Amorites and the Hittites and the heathen. And they are not concerned at all for our spiritual welfare. And so therefore, therefore, friends, it really behooves us that it's a tool and not a toy. Friends, tonight, technology, when it comes to technology, defense is great and it's important. And, and churches have put together rules and blockers and accountability. And we have all that in our church, and I appreciate it. But... 
What we really need, friends. Gary Miller said this in his book. He said, offense, or he said, defense, when it comes to technology, defense is the strongest form of combat by which we will always lose. What we really need, friends, is for the church to be aflame, is to be on offense. And I want to give you several things, ways that we can be on the offense with technology. One is this. You don't have to turn to it, but Jesus said this in Mark chapter 9. He said in verse 43, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. Jesus said, you know what? If your hand is a problem, hitting the wrong buttons and scrolling the wrong way, he said, cut it off. It is better for you to go through life with one hand than to drop into hell with two hands. That was Jesus' words. Now, I know I just put in the word technology, but that's what it means. Jesus also said, if your foot offends you, cut it off. It's better for you to go through life lame on crutches than to walk into hell with two feet. And he said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. It is better for you to go through life with one eye than to go to hell with two eyes. Friends, tonight, we haven't done very well in cutting it off. If we're going to win, we're going to have to be willing to do some things different than a lot of people do. The tool part is great, but the rest of it has gotten us into big trouble. Number two. A hundred years ago, our Anabaptist forefathers drew a line in the sand with technology. You know that? 100, about 100 years ago, our forefathers drew a line in the sand. The Mennonite church, they drew a line in the sand. They said, we're not going to have television. And they made a good decision. We have stood by that line in the sand. Except now here comes along Internet, and all at once we've got television in our homes. In October of 2014, a young boy slipped and fell into a tiger pen at a zoo in New Delhi, India. The surprised tiger watched and played with the crouching boy for 15 minutes. Bystanders watched, yelled, threw stones, and videoed, but no one went to his rescue. The boy was finally carried off and killed by the big cat. If that had been your son, would you have videoed the event? Would you have yelled and screamed for 15 minutes? Or would you have convinced some friends to join you in saving his life? Friends, tonight we need men and women that will get in the tiger pen and fight the enemy. There's plenty of people that will video it, but we need young men, young women, older men and women. They're willing to say, I will do what's right. And I will draw a line in the sand. Number three, the greatest offense that I believe that we can have. First Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. 
But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. In other words, in everything we do. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Friends, tonight, the greatest offense that we can have is to have men and women that have hearts that are committed to holiness. A personal commitment to holiness. A personal choice to walk in the light, to avoid all appearance of evil, to have spiritual courage, to draw lines in the sand on a personal level. I don't think, friends, that, uh, that we should just depend upon the church. I believe that it calls for a personal commitment to holiness. And I will do what I need to do as often as i got to do it, even though I may be different from everybody else in church. Because I know what I need. And I know what is good for me. Friends, if we're going to have a church of flame, we need to stand up and commit to personal holiness. It's going to cost you, but it is worth it. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I give unto you the keys. Friends, tonight, that calls us to a response. Do we say yes in our hearts to Jesus tonight? I will accept that call. I will accept that responsibility. I will be part of a church of flame. Have you taken the keys? Have you opened your heart to Church of Flame? Are you all in for damaging the gates of hell? Have you been with Jesus? Do you have a personal commitment to holiness? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. This group of people that's been here, and I just pray that your word tonight could meet every need in our heart. Again, tonight, God, we are here as needy people. We all have needs. We all need to draw closer to you in some way, in some area in our life. And I pray that through this time together of worshiping tonight, that your spirit would have just touched our hearts and shown us where that need is. And I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for the church that you send your son and, and gave blood for it. And that we have the wonderful, marvelous privilege tonight of saying, yes, God, I will be part of building your church, the apple of your eye. Lord, it's a wonderful privilege. Thank you for these people. Thank you for their attention tonight. I pray they would have a blessed night of sleep. Be with our service again tomorrow night. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not going to give an invitation tonight. I would just open it up, and I didn't give you opportunity to think about it. Maybe you have a testimony on your heart. Maybe something spoke to you, and you just want to acknowledge it, um, something you want to share. I'm sorry I didn't give you time to think about that, but has someone got something that the Lord is prompting you to share tonight? I give you that opportunity. Anyone? But I have found out the more the uh, secretary, you see, 
my spiritual life becomes stronger, my walk with the Lord becomes closer. Mm -hmm. But it takes a lot of discipline, mm -hmm. discipline from the Lord. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate your encouragement to be that type of Christian. Bless you, Brother Claire. Yes. Like you said, the flaming church. We need the fiery church for the flaming church. Now, I uh, hear a lot about Mennonites in the community. Good people. Hard workers. Take care of what they got. Children do better than others and everything. But you know, I've never heard them say they're saved and on fire for the Lord. You know, I fell in that too, but you know what? Uh, I say, well, you know, they got a nice church. Well, I'm hitting there. Jesus is the church. Mm -hmm. But you know, like you said, it's not good to slip in or slide in. But when the gates are open, in order for us to run through the gates, we're going to have to be on saved and on fire for the Lord and have something. Amen. And whenever we do that, there will be people that will get saved. You'll see miracles. You'll see people get healed. You'll see, you'll see people have more of a blessed day. And I said all that to say this. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, their Amen. Savior, that will do it all if it's any increase. Amen. Glory to God. He's coming back for his church. That's a flame. Anyone else? Thank you for coming out tonight. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening. Look forward to seeing you again tomorrow night. Tomorrow night is... Thursday night. We have a children's meeting tomorrow night. Lord willing. And I've had some encouragement that I would share the God and Tyler story has to do with our son that was killed. And I, Lord willing, I'll do that Saturday evening in the message. So we got children's meeting Thursday night, special singing Friday night, message every night, God and Tyler story Saturday night, Sunday morning church service, Sunday evening, special singing and a message, right? I got that right? Okay. Lots to look forward to. You may stand your feet. We'll have a closing verse of song.